If you'd take your Bibles or your devices and turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark, to the 13th chapter, and we will get there shortly. It's wonderful to see all of your faces, see your eyes. I'd love to see your smiles, but uh, we'll let that happen some other time. But it's great that you're here. We are a spiritual family, and many of us are not able to be here on Sundays right now, but we're all connected in the power of God. Amen? Advent is not really something that you think it would be. It's really something quite different. While, while Christmas is the joyous reminder of what God has done, Advent is really the wake-up call for what's about to happen, for who's about to show up, who is coming. Advent is the appearing, it is the coming forth, it's the arrival, it's the coming into place. And though it does help point us to the incarnation when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it is also helping us point to when he will return, when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We see these kinds of themes Throughout scripture, when you read it all the way into the Old Testament, like when the prophet Isaiah read, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. It's also seen all the way into the New Testament, like when Jesus spoke of his second return, when he said in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Then he said in verse 42, therefore, stay awake. Say that with me. Stay awake. Say it one more time. Stay awake. I'm just ma making sure you're awake. Stay awake, he says, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Advent is a really strange season. It's kind of a bait and switch if you think about it. Because we've already seen the decorations and all the lights and we've already begun to hear the songs and the carols and we've already begun to smell the pumpkin spice and we've already begun to taste the peppermint lattes. So it feels like we should be focusing on the birth of a baby. But before we do, we need to wait. Be still. We need to sit in the darkness just a little longer. Because... They realize, the realization is that the kingdom of God, though while it is here, it is only partially among us. It has not been fully realized. It has begun. It is in us. It is among us. But not yet complete. There is more to come. And we see that especially when we look at our broken and in hurting world, it is a world that is groaning and yearning for something more as if it's experiencing birth pains of something new. 
It's in this waiting that something greater is going to happen. It's in that waiting expectedly that Jesus tells his disciples to stay awake. And it's been the call for every church in every generation since. Like when the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, Wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then the Apostle Paul himself again said to the church in Thessalonica, For you all are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And again, the Apostle Paul saying to the church in Rome, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to, to us now than when we first believed. You hit the theme, get awake. Do you hear it? It's throughout all of these scriptures. Wake up. Wake up. Advent is a collective jolt to our slumber. It is a wake-up call to open your eyes and to be engaged. It is a shaking of our souls to bring us back into a posture of watchfulness and being alert, of being awake. And in our waiting, we, we learn that what God does in us in the midst of the waiting is just as vital as what we're waiting for. And we also learn that our salvation is nearer to us now than even on the day we first believed. I love to say when people ask me when the rapture will occur or when Jesus will come again or when the end of the world, the apocalypse, and I just say, you know, I don't know, but I know we're one day there closer than we were yesterday. Our salvation is even greater now than the day we first believed. Now, the gospel reading for this particular first Sunday of Advent is a little bit of a surprise. It's not what you'd expect, but it does help us see that we need to live awakened lives unto him. And we need to be expectantly waiting for his return. So Mark chapter 13 and verse 24 but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven." So this is how Advent starts. <laughs> Where's the baby? Where's the manger? This is how we start Advent? Not with Christ's child in a manger, but with a fully grown Savior talking to us as he faces the cross. And as he tells us the darkness and deep, deep, dark days are ahead. He sounds like, one of the Old Testament prophets, don't you think? I mean, like Isaiah or Amos or Joel or Zechariah or Daniel. He sounds like one of those guys. And indeed, he is 
tapping into a prophetic tradition of apocalyptic messaging. And if there's one thing that prophets of the Old Testament all agree on, it is that this worldly system we live in is teetering on the edge of collapse. It still is. When we read these verses, we see them as Jesus describing the end of the world and his return, and they do. But for the early disciples that would remain in Jerusalem, Jesus knew that they would experience an apocalypse of their own. And it would be the end and the destruction and the collapse of the Jewish world. Just 25 or so years later, after Jesus walked the planet, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, and ascended back to his father, just some 25 years later, a Roman leader who would be emperor one day named Titus came and laid siege on Jerusalem. And it was a horrific experience. Titus seized the city and there was great suffering. And after months, he finally sacked the whole city, destroying it, destroying the temple, taking all of the riches that were in the temple, taking it back to Rome where he financed the building of structures you can still see today. Things like the Colosseum and other structures. His arch, Titus, is still there in Rome. And he used all of the gold from the Jerusalem temple to fund that. And in the process, he killed 1.1 million Jews. And those that were not killed were enslaved. Many of them dying as gladiators. It was horrific. It was grotesque. It was inhumane. And Jesus knew that those disciples that did not get dispersed out into the, into the uttermost parts of the earth that would remain in Jerusalem, would they themselves face this apocalypse? And it was horrific. And he's speaking to that as much as he's speaking to the end of the world. Like a lot of prophetic re revelation, he is speaking and it has more than one event in mind. While there may be dark days, and there will be leading up to his return, these, many of these disciples that might have even heard these words originally, would face dark days very soon. But here's the part that encourages us. We hear that the Son of God, the Son of Man, will come again on the clouds. He will return. And that is the hope that we hang on to today. As we await his return, just like they awaited the Messiah to come in the first place. We are expectantly looking for Jesus to come again. Do you look for that? Do you ever think of it? Do you wake up in the morning one day and say, I wonder if today is the day. Are we awake? Or do we slumber? Are we aware that it could be that it's sooner than what it was? Are we even looking for his return? Or do we sleep? Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed throughout the whole world and that it would be a testimony to all nations. And then, Jesus said, the end will come. And here in Mark, we just read that 
his disciples would be given an honoring place because they would be going out as witnesses and he would then call his angels to bring in all of the elect, those that had been saved and brought into the household of faith. We are also a part of that connection. We're his witnesses too. It's not just the original 12. It's not just the original 120 in the upper room. It's not just the original 500 that saw Jesus after he had raised from the dead. It is us. We are his witnesses. We have been challenged to go and proclaim the good news to all nations of the earth. When Jesus turns to these men, he is helping them see that there is hope beyond the darkness. Even in our waiting, we must stay awake. And then Jesus turns his attention to a tree. <laughs> Jesus likes trees, especially fig trees. He talks a lot about them. Look at verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will pass away, will not pass away, excuse me, until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's giving us a lesson, an object lesson. I like that because sometimes I don't always get it but he puts it in a language where we can understand. He's like, just think about the tree at wintertime. It looks dead. There's no apparent indication of life, but we don't see the roots that are, that are deep down in the dark soil. When springtime occurs, when it comes upon, you begin to see the shoots, the branches grow tender as it pushes out the life, the new life of foliage and leaves, the tree is alive. And the lesson's clear, right? It's evident that life is occurring and when the leaves cop out, you know that summertime is here. Well, it's the same way with these signs that he's telling us. He says, when you see the signs, it's evident that something's about to happen. He is near. He's at the gates. And I would say this to you, not only for the final appearing of Jesus, but in every moment where you sense things are dead, when he draws near, life comes to us. He draws us into a place where he is near at the gates and his return makes all the difference. And then he says in verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. And here he says it again. Keep awake. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. I mean, how many times does he have to say it? Stay awake. 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to stay awake. I'm not talking about when I speak because I'm funny and I keep people awake all the time. I'm saying staying alert and awake, it's easy to grow dull and bored and inactive and disengaged and not doing the things he called us to do. We think going to church gives us the safe passage to being with him forever and maybe it will, maybe it won't. But wouldn't you rather be the one who was alert and stayed awake than the one who slept in the corner at his return? It's hard to stay awake. Not the kind of restlessness in the middle of the night when you've got the problems of the world going through your head. That's not the kind of staying awake he's talking about. Most of the time, that's not ever productive. You think that you're worrying about the problems of the world in the night but when the daytime comes, you've either forgotten about how you solved them when you were sleeping or not. It's, it doesn't help. But the kind of awake Jesus is talking to us about is paying attention, being alert, being engaged, being ready. It is where you're busy doing the work he left you to do. You have a job. Are you doing it or not? It is about keeping the commands he spoke to us before he left. Here's the thing we need to understand. Apocalyptic moments are not that rare. They're not that rare. They're happening all the time. While there certainly will be an end to sin and death and all the brokenness that it has caused and there will be a tribulation and darkness and there will be a falling away and there will be his return with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Still, we live in a lot of apocalypses. We have them all the time. And I remind us that the word apocalypse really says it's the revelation, it's the revealing, it's the unveiling of Jesus. It's not just the darkness that occurs, but his light that shows up as a counteraction to it. And so we live in a constant state of difficulties, of collapses, of apocalypses, where the world we thought we knew collapses. And where the light we thought was guiding us dims and we find ourselves in the dark. Here's a little side note. It's one of these neat biblical literary things that I really get into. It's when Jesus names the four watches that we should stay awake in. When he says in verse 25, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come. One in the evening, two at midnight, Three, when the rooster crows, or four in the morning. These are the same four watches that are spelled out in the next chapter, Mark 14, when Jesus and his disciples gather for the Last Supper 
in the evening time. And at midnight when they go to the garden to pray. And at 3 a.m. when the crooster crowed and Peter denied Jesus. And at daylight when the Sanhedrin condemned him to die. He calls us to stay awake at all points in the journey. When he's with us, supping and dining, communing. When he's agonizing and praying in the garden. And he asks so desperately for us to stay awake, remember? He asked them to do that. And they couldn't. He wants us to stay awake even at the third hour of the, of the third watch, which would be 3 a.m., when the rooster would oftentimes crow, when we typically would fall away and might betray and deny him. And he even asked us to stay awake when he is dying and being condemned for our death. He wants us to stay awake. He calls us to stay with him. Advent is a really strange season. It's not the Christmas carols. It's not the decorations, though we decorate. It's not the songs, though we sing them. It's the waiting for him to come. It's not exactly what we thought it would be. It's the chaos of prophetic words about destruction. And it's somehow mixed in with the promise that he will return. We prepare for the coming of the Christ child. But we're redirected to the urgent words of the son of man. We're told to stay awake. Stay alert. Keep your head in the game. Don't go to sleep. To be sober. Be alert to be about the Father's business, to wait for whatever God has in store. And as Paul told the church, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.